0: Because I do have a great dad. I, when I was growing up, my dad was, um, was just, he was, he was great. Like, we did a lot of the fun kinds of things that I saw in the video. And we did some of the crazy things that we didn't show in the video. Uh, but I remember things like when I was playing baseball a, as a kid. I remember my dad was in California. I was probably, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12. And my dad was in California at, a, at an event that he was he was serving at. And, uh, and I had a really big all-star baseball game on a Saturday morning early. And my dad's flight was originally not supposed to get in until like middle of the day because the game was originally scheduled for later in the day. But my game was moved up. Um, early in that week, we found out we played at like 9 a.m. that morning. And we lived in the Southeast. And, and so my dad's in California and I'm in the Southeast and I've got this really important baseball game, this all-star game. And baseball was a big deal in our family growing up. And so I did not know he had done it, but he had changed his flight at great expense to himself. And he had caught a red eye from California and he got to the place where we were living and he was exhausted. But right before the first pitch was thrown in that ball game, I look over and standing outside of the fence was my dad. I can't tell you what that did for me. I mean, I didn't even fully realize what that would mean until I got a little older. And, and so here's the thing. He didn't make every game that I ever played in. That's not the moral of this story. But it was the idea that because he made that game, because he made the effort, like I knew that there was something that if, if he could be there, he was going to be there. If, if it was within the, the scope of possibility, he was going to do everything that he could. And so I told you baseball is a big deal. And so the last game of my senior year of high school, my dad wasn't there. And so senior day and my mom walks me out onto the field with all the other parents and the senior, not just my mom. Like she didn't like escort me on the field, like just as a habit, like it was senior day. And so they were, the parents were coming out as they were introducing the players. And we got out to the middle of the infield and my mom leaned over to me and she said, I'm so sorry that your dad can't be here today. I said, it's okay. I mean, I know it couldn't be helped. I mean, he has proven that if he could be here, he would be here. And so she reached into her pocket and she handed me a letter from my dad. She said he wanted to be here. And and I, I read that letter right before we started playing. And he talked about our story and baseball, how baseball had been this really important part of our lives and how it had been a bonding agent for us. And he reminded me of Things about our story in baseball. He reminded me of when I made you know, my first all-star team. When I made the high school varsity team. He reminded me of different plays that he and I had talked about over the years. That I had made or I hadn't made. And how that had been a big part of it. And he talked in that letter, even though he wasn't present. About the fact that baseball was going to go away. That I probably wouldn't have the opportunity to play baseball the rest of my life. But there would be other things that I got to do. And the lessons that I had learned. And the things that he wanted me to know was that he loved me and he was proud of me and he was proud of me no matter if i struck out or i hit a home run i know that i i had a great dad i have a great father and to the best of my ability i am trying to be a good father to the four kids that god has entrusted to corey and to myself and when when my dad was a little bit younger i mean he already he already had kids he had the two of us but he we were much younger at that point this was really probably before we we started playing baseball. Maybe we were playing and we were a little bit younger. My dad read a book that he says was very formative in him, not just as a dad, not just as a husband, but even in, in, the, in the, the work that he was doing in ministry and just in life in general. It was a book that many of you may have read or at least you've heard about it. It was by a guy named Stephen Covey or Covey, and it was this book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Anybody ever read that book? It's a really famous book. It's been reprinted like nine million times. And so a very famous book. But one of the principles, one of the habits of highly effective people in that book is that you see the end from the beginning. It's this idea that you stand where you are now in life in this moment in time. And you look ahead to the end of whatever story it is that you're thinking about. If that's in the life of your kids, then you might kind of find a mile marker. And that's what he did. He chose the end of our graduation from high school. If it's in business, maybe it's, you know, the the end of this is when the two companies merge together and that's the end for you, or maybe it's the end of your life. And so you think about the end of your life. And so what you do is you go to the end of whatever it is that you're trying to determine the, the, the seeing that end from the beginning. So you go to the end of that process and then you try to determine what do I want the end to look like? So something that you may have heard or an exercise you may have done is you go to the end of your life in your head. You think about, what do I want my funeral to be like? What do I want people to say about me at my funeral? What do I want on my grave, on my tombstone there? What do I want people to say at the end of my life? And then what you do is you work backwards to present day. And you say, okay, at the end of my life, I want them to say I was a good husband and a good father and a man of God who loved God. I want them to say that I was whatever, a really peaceable person. I got along with as many people as I could. Okay, great then now I'm going to work backwards. What do I have to do between present day and the end of my life to accomplish those things? And here's what my dad did. He said, okay, I'm going to take the end of kind of my responsibility of my kids living in my home. Whether or not they choose to move out, I'm going to say the end of their high school career. They graduate high school. The day they graduate, I want them to know a few things. And here were the four things that he decided that he wanted me and my brother to know. He wanted us to know who we were in Christ. He wanted us to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The second thing that he wanted us to know is he wanted us to know how to pray. Prayer is a big deal, and he wanted us to know how to pray. The third thing that he wanted to know was maybe a little more practical from, aside from anything spiritual. He wanted us to know how to handle money. And the fourth thing that he wanted us to know is he wanted us to know how to treat a lady. Those were the four things that he decided at some point when we were younger. Those are the four guiding principles that at the end of our high school career, if we didn't know anything else, he wanted us to know those four things. And I can say, by and large, I think you might have to ask Corey if I know how to treat a lady. But other than that, for the most part, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I did the day that I graduated from high school. I feel like I knew how to pray the day I graduated from high school. By and large, I've made some financial mistakes, but I knew how to handle money at the end of my high school career. And hopefully I I knew how to treat a lady. Those were the four things that he decided. And I've tried to use that principle in the raising of my own kids along with Corey to say, what are the things that I want them to know? What are the things that I want them to learn? Because I understand that I have a very small, specific allotment of time that God has entrusted children to me. And I give to them my gift of my time, however much or however small I choose to do that. I give to them the gift of my time to try to instill in them as many good things as I possibly can. And I think if you try to do just a thousand million things, you're not really going to hit your mark. But if you try to say, hey, if nothing else, I want them to know these three or four or five or six things by the end of the time that God has entrusted me. It doesn't mean that my dad's influence in my life ended the day that I graduated from high school. He still has influence in my life in some degrees. But it does mean that at that point he wanted me to know those things. And it, it brought me to this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 7. This is, a, uh, the the Sermon on the Mount is something that we're looking at over the, really the course of the summer. And we've been in Matthew chapter 5 for the first few weeks. And I'm going to jump now to Matthew chapter 7 and read a passage of scripture that maybe you've heard in some context before Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. This is what it says. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a serpent or a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, there is a larger context to what is being said here. It's not just about fatherhood. But Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, does connect earthly fathers... To the Heavenly Father. He says, if one of you, if you on earth has a son and he asks you for bread, would you give him a stone? Now, this is not just some unrelated. When I first read this, or probably the first hundred times I read this, I thought, that's a really random metaphor that's got to mean something, right? That's, there's symbolism in that. And, and there is a little bit, because the idea that a loaf of bread may look like a flat stone in that day, that Jesus is relating it. If somebody asks you for a piece or a loaf of bread, you wouldn't give them a rock and make them think it's a piece of bread, or, or which one that would ask for a, for a fish, obviously to eat, would give him a snake. Maybe a, a snake that looks like a fish. You can, if you're really good into wildlife, you might know what those would be called. I don't, so we'll just keep calling them snakes. Um, but the idea that there are certain types of fish that look a little bit like snakes. And so the idea that you wouldn't trick, that's the idea here. That's the symbolism. You as an earthly father would not attempt to trick your kids. You wouldn't come along. Now, I'm kind of a prankster. So this is not saying you can't ever play a joke on your kids. But in a real way, if your kids need something, if they need bread or they need fish, if they need something to it's a necessity of life, you're not going to trick them. You're not going to go, yeah, here's some bread and it's a rock. Oh, yeah, yeah, here's some fish and it's a snake. It's the idea that you as a father, an earthly father, you're not going to trick your kids. But in our present culture. In the present culture, unfortunately, we don't have tricksters necessarily as fathers. We just have an absence of fathers. So this idea of earthly fathers providing the necessities of life that are needed to accomplish in their children what is needed to be accomplished. Sometimes in our present culture, that role is missing in many of the lives of our children. Here's some statistics. Many of these you've probably heard in different ways. But 43% of U.S. children live without their father in their home. 43% 43% of U.S. children live without their father, according to the, the census. 90% of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 71% of pregnant teenagers lack a father living in their home. 85% of children who exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 85% of youths in prison grew up in a fatherless home fatherless boys and girls are twice as likely to drop out of high school twice as likely to end up in jail and four times more likely to need help for emotional or behavioral problems according to some government statistics and studies that have been done and and this is not on the screen but here is kind of a summary from the people that put this study together children with involved loving fathers are significantly more likely to do well in school have healthy self-esteem, exhibit empathy and pro-social behavior, and avoid high-risk behaviors such as drug use, truancy, and criminal activity compared to children who have uninvolved fathers. Now, these statistics are really bothersome to me. They, They break my heart, and I think that they should break your heart. And I understand that there are a lot of extenuating circumstances that may bring these realities to play in some of the homes, and I get that, but, man, these statistics are bothersome to me to say, man, there are... There are some children that are affected by a lack of involvement from their fathers. It doesn't necessarily mean just a split of the home, but the lack of involvement, a father that chooses not to be involved in the lives of their kids. And we see these statistics. And if you're in this room and, man, you're a single mom, I don't want these statistics to scare you because I want you to know the same thing that we say and we pray every time we dedicate a child that we as the church want to help to fill in the gap as much as we possibly can. We want to partner with you. We want to partner with families. We believe it's our calling. We don't believe that we're called to be the primary disciplers of any of the kids that you saw standing up here, but that we are to be partners with moms and with dads and with grandparents. Whoever's involved in raising those kids on a consistent basis, we want to partner with you in helping to disciple and care for your children. But even with these statistics, even knowing, and I believe this about God, even knowing that these statistics would be the reality of our day Jesus said that even bad dads try to provide the necessities for their kids. And I believe that. I know there are definitely circumstances where there are some bad fathers and they don't do anything for their kids and there's neglect there and they don't attempt to do anything to provide their kids. But Jesus said even most bad fathers provide necessities for their kids. And then he compares the earthly fathers to the heavenly father God that we have. And I prayed that a little bit earlier in our prayer is that, man, even if you have a warped view or you have a, a distorted view of what earthly fathers look like because of the absence of that in your home or maybe just the the, the the things in your family, the family dynamics, even if that's happened, God, the heavenly father, is available to all of us. He's available to every one of us. Those that had great fathers, those that have, have had really messy relationships with dad, and those all the way in between, he's available to us. And there are some things that I believe that we can learn about the Heavenly Father through Scripture. There's a lot that we can learn. But Ephesians chapter 1, if you've never read it, is a great book for you to read when we look at this idea of God as Heavenly Father. And I'm not going to read it all today. I'm actually just going to read one verse in just a moment. But Ephesians chapter 1, if you would read it maybe from the message translation. So if you've got a a device or a computer that you can look it up where you can have multiple translations if you don't have those readily available in print. There's this idea that God loves us. That God chose us. That God, before he had to, had you in mind when he was creating the plans of the world. And that even the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of his son on the cross, even he as a father sacrificing his one and only beloved son, even that plan was because of you and I, because he has adopted us. Because he has chosen us. He didn't just get stuck with us. It wasn't like we were just born and he stuck with us. It's the idea that he chose us. And then this is what we read in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. This is what it says. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Now, the larger context of this verse is actually about God and not just about Jesus Christ. It's the idea that what we see in Jesus Christ, we can actually see in ourselves because God has a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as the adopted sons and daughters of God, what we see God in his interaction with Jesus Christ, we also can see in his interaction with us. And we can kind of superimpose that onto our relationship with God. That the greatest gift that the heavenly father gave to us as his children is found right here. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. The two things that I see in this verse is that God gives to us our identity and our purpose. It's in Christ that we find out who we are, our identity. How many people do you know, and maybe you're one of them as well, that have spent their entire lives trying to figure out who they are? They've just been searching. They're kind of lost trying to figure out who am I? And then not only who am I, but what am I here for? What am I living for? What's my purpose? What separates me from the billions of other people on the face of the earth? Why was I born in this time? What has God given to me that I can contribute to the world? Like, what's my identity and what's my purpose? And and the writer here of Ephesians says that, listen, God chose you. God adopted you. Every person in the room, not just dads and not just those who have great relationships with their dads, but those who have no relationship with their dads. The earthly, the the heavenly father chose you. He had a plan with you in mind from the very beginning. And in his relationship with his earthly and heavenly son, Jesus Christ, you and I can take that reality and kind of superimpose it on us and say, "Okay, God's given me an identity. Not just has God given me an identity, he's given me a purpose. And what I see time and time and time again with my interaction with people is that the most hurting people, the people that are just struggling the most are those who have just never gotten comfortable with who they are. I mean, they're just searching. It seems like an endless search. They have compromised themselves so many times just to try to get somebody to accept them for who they are who they want to be, who they want to be known as. And so they continue to compromise themselves and compromise themselves just to find that identity. Or maybe they say, yeah, I know who I am, but, you know, I I don't know what I'm here for. I don't know what my purpose is. I haven't ever found that acceptance. And so I'm going to keep struggling for that. And they're just searching and searching and searching to say, who am I? This This is the great reality for fathers. I think the greatest gift that we as fathers, if you are a father in this room, of kids of any age is the same reality. If by the time my four kids leave my house with me and my wife, I want them to know who they are in Christ. I want them to have an identity in Christ. I want them to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ where they know who they are and not only that, I want them to know that they're accepted I want them to be able to understand that as they pursue maybe God's will for their life, a really churchy phrase that's very scripturally based, this idea that in their pursuit of something, that God has an ultimate purpose, according to the the writers of the New Testament, that really our ultimate purpose is to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. To reflect the Son of God in everything that we do, no matter what vocation we pursue, it's to reflect the nature and character of Jesus Christ. This is not on the screen, but I want to conclude with this idea. In Matthew chapter 3, I've been reading a book, and this was in that book. and Man, it has just rocked me. Matthew chapter 3 is kind of the beginning of the story of Jesus in that gospel account. And in Matthew chapter 3, we see Jesus come to be baptized by a guy named John. And Jesus ultimately is the one who is bringing salvation to the earth. And John's a guy that came a little bit ahead of him and had some ministry that was a little bit ahead of him and a little bit larger than Jesus's was at the early stages of his ministry. And so John's baptizing people, and Jesus himself comes to be baptized by John. And I want to read this. This will not be on the screens. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and it, and it kind of alighted him. It was over top of him, and it shined down on from heaven onto him. And a voice from heaven said this, This is my Son, whom I love, and with Him I am well pleased. This is what the voice of God, through His Spirit, said about and to Jesus Christ. This is my Son, whom I love, with Him I am well pleased. God was saying before Jesus ever did ministry, before he ever really accomplished his purpose on the earth, before he ever went to the cross, before he ever chose disciples really, and did ministry and did healings and all the teaching, before any of that ever happened, Jesus is being baptized and he comes up out of the water and God, the heavenly father says to his son, you're mine and I love you. and I'm so pleased with you. What was he pleased about? The ministry account would come really in the next 20-something chapters of Matthew and in the book of Mark and the book of Luke and the book of John. What is it that God was pleased about? I think he was pleased in the identity of his son. And here's what I read in this book that I've been reading. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. A lot of us spend our lives trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. And I think a better question than that is, who am I? Because when I know who I am, not what I do, when I know who I am, I'll know what to do. Doesn't mean that all the decisions will be really easy. Doesn't mean we won't have to agonize over them. Doesn't mean that we won't have to really weigh the pros and cons. But ultimately, we get down to the end of it. We will know what to do because it will be shaped by our identity. And as an earthly father, I I hope and I pray that what I can do for my kids is to help shape their identity so much so that they know who they are. So that they don't ever have to compromise themselves in pursuit of someone who will love them and someone who will accept them and someone who will kind of give them accolades because, man, they will hear from me what the heavenly father said to his son. That's my son. That's my daughter. And I love them and I'm pleased with them. That's what I want my kids to know. And here's the reality for all of us in this room this morning. God, the heavenly Father looks down on each one of us and he says the same thing. He says that's that's my son, that's my daughter. I love them and I'm pleased. He, he loved us first. He adopted us. He initiated his emotional connection to us before we could do anything to earn that. Do we, do we have to choose him and receive him? Yes, I believe that. Do we have to acknowledge maybe that we're sinners in need of a savior? Yes, I believe that. But ultimately, if we spend our lives thinking we have to earn the love of God just like we have to earn people's love here on earth, we are going to always fail Every single time. I think God would say to you and I this morning. That's my son. That's my daughter. I love you. And I'm pleased with you. And for the challenge for us as dads. If you're a dad in the room. Spend your time. Spend the gift of your time. Helping to shape the identity of your kids because when they know who they are they'll always know what to do doesn't matter how old they are I'm I'm telling you my dad still has that ability if I do something I'm proud of if my dad says to me man that's really great that's awesome there's still a part of me that lights up inside I want to always be that for my kids I don't want to always use dad voice you know what dad voice is? It's that voice we have as dads when we're like frustrated, when they've interrupted us, when we were busy doing something. You know what dad voice usually conveys to our kids? There's something more important than you right now. It's been really challenging for me. I want my kids to know who they are so that they'll always know what to do. And this morning, if you're, if you're not a dad, that's okay. Okay. It's great. Every one of us is at a unique stage of life. No matter where you're at, no matter where you find yourself, here's what I would assure you of today. You have a heavenly father who loves you. Your identity can be found in him. And if you know who you are, you will always know what to do. Just come back to who am I in Christ? It's in Christ that we know who we are and what we're living for. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. God, it's been a great day of celebrating fathers and celebrating these kids that were up on stage and having some fun and giving some things away and all that's great. We do it because we love doing that kind of stuff when we gather. But ultimately today, when we walk away from this moment, I pray for every single dad in the room. God, you would help us to understand the unique role that you have placed on us. The calling that you've given to each of us as fathers to help shape and mold the identity of our children. That there may be a thousand things that we're pulled towards. There may be a lot of things that have to get done But at the end of the day, our calling, the uniqueness of our role is to form the identity of our kids. And to form that identity in you. And the best way that we can do that for them is by modeling that ourselves. And so for every one of us in the room, dads and non-dads and moms and non-moms and singles and couples and students and adults and grandparents and anybody in the room, from the youngest to the oldest... Help every one of us to find our identity in you. To be shaped and molded, not by what we can accomplish, not by what we can produce with our hands, but by resting in our identity that's formed through you. Let us look to your son, Jesus Christ, as the example of how you love and the purpose that you give to each of us. With every... Head bowed and every eye closed, nobody's looking around just for a moment. If you would say to me, Jeremy, I I need to make sure that my identity is in Christ. I need to know that it is. I, I want God at the end of my life to be able to look at me according to what Scripture says and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. And man, I know that I can't earn the love of God, but I want to live in a way that honors God. And I know that I am in need of a savior for my life. I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, according to Romans. And man, I just need, I need to know. I need to ask forgiveness today of my sins and acknowledge God as the savior of my life and ask him to be the Lord. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand with nobody looking around? You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Several hands up in this room. And if you would say today now in a a separate kind of response, you would say, you know, Jeremy, listen, I... I don't need him to be the savior of my life. I've prayed that prayer. Maybe I'm, I'm comfortable with what I've already done there and the relationship that I have with him. But whether it's through a distorted view because of a bad relationship with my earthly father or some other pursuit in my life, I just need to be grounded in my identity, I don't need to be searching anywhere else for acceptance because I, I need to understand that God just accepts me. He just loves me. And I need to quit spinning my wheels, searching for acceptance and finding that in other things in my business and success in life and my finances and my relationships. I just want to rest in God's acceptance of me. Would you lift your hand? Tons and tons of hands. You can put them right back down. I'm going to pray for both of these. These hands that have been raised, all these different hands in both of these needs. God, I pray now for those that lifted their hands today to say to you, because it's already been declared with their heart, that they're in need of a savior. That yes, they've sinned and fallen short of your glory as we all have. That's what Romans tells us. And so today they have said, I want to acknowledge that need. I want to ask God to forgive my sins and I want to live in a way that honors him. I realize that by doing this, I'm not attempting to earn his love or earn his acceptance, but I'm acknowledging my need. And God, when they did that, you responded in kind because you've always been right there. God, you loved them. You forgave them. You accepted them. Help them now to rest in that. And God, for every other person that lifted their hand today with this second need that says, I just need to rest in, my, in, in the acceptance of God for my life. I don't need to try to earn it anymore. I don't need to look to my business. I don't need to look to my relationships. I need to quit spinning my wheels and ending up frustrated or even finding success. But God, let me find acceptance and purpose and identity in you and you alone. God, I pray that for every person in this room. Help us to rest in that. Help us not to find acceptance in others based on what they do and just keep that lie rolling along. But God, help us to rest in that individually, to find that in you and you alone. And God, we thank you for that. And we will be your carriers of that message. God, finally today, I pray for every father. One last time, I pray that you would help fathers to trust in you as they raise their children in the fear of you, that they would find their identity in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.